As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, September 29th. This is Stephen Nesbitt filling in this month for Derek Van Riper, and I'm joined as always by Keith Law. Keith, last weekend of the baseball season, how are you celebrating? Um, by going away to visit some family. Yeah, I mean, that's that's appropriate. Yeah. 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 Before you get Seems back good, on the road, right? right? Before you get back on the road. Uh, I will be at Arizona after that, a little bit after that, um, which I'm looking forward to. That's a great trip. It's great for scouting. It's great for seeing friends. It is awesome for weather, certainly. Yeah, we're just starting to get that real fall crisp up here in, in New England. Um, is that what in, you call it? I call it winter. The, the chill. It's the chill is below setting. 75 degrees. It is winter. <laughs> yeah, we're getting like those 40 degree nights. It's like, ooh, nope. back. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Um, so today's show, we are going to... Uh, start turning our attention to the postseason. We're going to touch on some of the most improved players we'll actually see play in October. And later in the show, we'll talk a little bit more Arizona Fall League. Uh, first, Keith, I want, to, I want to start off where we left off last week, which is uh, Junior Caminero. Turned out, we talked all about how he would uh, maybe possibly be, a, be an option on opening day, but probably not. I mean, this kid's at double A. He's a teenager. Well, it turned out the Rays decided it was time. And about uh, four hours after we recorded and a couple hours before our show uh, went on the air, Junior Caminero got called up. So Before it even went live. Good for him. And so anybody else want to write off today? Um, I mean, it's kind of late. Is anybody else likely to come up at this point so. that we could like magically, right, make it happen through they're the all, power of our words? They're all at home or they're headed to the Arizona Fall League and we're going to pull someone off of yeah. oh, those rosters. Uh, we'll get to that. But anyway, Caminero, now that you know the seal has been broken here and he actually is part of uh, the roster, the, you feel differently about his options for opening day? Where would he fit in this roster, of course, to have a, a gap at shortstop um, with yeah. Wander Franco? So where, where does he fit now? Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? If Wander Franco, we're all just assuming he's not coming back, like not for a long time. I mean, maybe ever, right? I don't know. I really have no idea. But I guess if you're operating under the assumption that he's not coming back, pretty good chance we see Caminero on the opening day roster. I mean, they can certainly move enough guys around to get this bat in the lineup. I also wonder if there's a tiny bit of evaluation going on. It's a small sample, obviously, but you want to see how he's reacting to major league pitching, to certain pitch types, Um what kind of adjustments he's able to make even in a fairly short period of time. So I wonder if that's just sort of in the back of their minds, like, yeah, this guy might be a big part of us for next year anyway. So let's just uh, get a quick look at him. The major league coaching staff get to see him, get to know him a little bit. So that could also be happening kind of behind the scenes, which would, if my hypothesis there is correct, mean maybe they also don't think they're going to get him back um, any point at any point, at least like early next year. Yeah, yeah. So far, just through four games so far in Caminero's uh, major league career, he's played DH and third base. Third base, I think we've, we've talked about as um, a likely 
uh, option for him, but I, I look at this Rays team and it's almost like you could take any single one of the players on their roster and be and like have guessed at mm, you know four years ago where he'd be playing today and he'd be wrong about all of them because the Rays he'd just be like wrong. move everything. Yes. Like Her- Harold Ramirez, I covered him as a pro- you know sort of non-prospect in Pittsburgh. Like no one thought he'd be a first base. Yandy Diaz at first base. Um, Isaac Paredes. You can see some of this is like okay, he's a corner guy. It could be either one. But uh, but yeah, so you, you never really know. But for now, third base does seem like a pretty pretty good spot, and he could hold that position for a long time in Tampa. Yes. Um, if he's the bat, everyone seems to think he is, and he just keeps getting better, too. I knew plenty of people who really liked this guy coming into the season. I think he was on the very, very back of my top 100, and that seemed like a little bit of a statement. Um, it's not why I rank guys where I rank them, but I'm also aware that putting a guy on versus even on the just miss list does make a big difference in in readers eyes and I, I guess a little bit in the industry and he's been far better than i think any of his biggest advocates would have argued for given that he barely even played outside of the complex league coming into the season for him to get to the majors this year at 19 um, with a performance in high a and double a that more than justified him getting there too you know, maybe he just he is those outliers Guys who get to the big leagues at 19, you're aware, I think a lot of listeners know this, they have a pretty different track record. It's very, very positive. A lot of stars, certainly if you go the other direction, right? A lot of stars get to the majors at 19. Um, and I again, I feel like the track record of guys who perform their way to the majors at 19 do have a pretty strong track record, not just of sticking around, but of having pretty successful careers uh, over a longer period of time too. Well, the good news is uh, he actually turned 20 in July, and I, I forgot his birthday. Uh, so you know Seasonal what? age. We we speak seasonal age around here. That's yeah, all. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Age to level, seasonal age. <clears throat> That's right. Yep. Well, hey, the Rays are a perfect uh, segue here as they are currently, as we speak, only two and a half by the Baltimore Orioles have a chance to win the division because we just want to spend the next 30 minutes breaking down each individual potential tiebreaker. I felt like that would just make for good radio. <laughs> and again, Riveting. like we said, everything will be changed by the time we, we, we uh, actually hit the air on this one. So, no, really, I wanted to uh, take a quick look at the, at the playoff uh, picture here uh, as it is sort of uh, solidifying. Uh, the Braves, you got to start with the Braves. They have a chance to reach 105 wins. They have 102 as we speak. They are taking the division by 13 games today. They are the Braves. Uh, Ronald Cunha, a 40-70 a season, which we would have sort of never thought possible. Um, it's, the rule changes give you kind of like, well, it's, but really, like it's 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 absurd uh, to be able to put that number up even with slightly larger bases and uh, some limitations on what they uh, what the pitcher can do with pickoffs. Uh, Matt Olson, 130-plus ribbies. And I just looked this one up. All nine starters currently with a WRC plus above 100, which is league average for those who don't care about those numbers. Uh, Ronald Acuna, 170, all the way down to Orlando Arcia and uh, Eddie Rosario at 102. So I, I beg us to nitpick today, uh, Keith. Why why not the Braves this offseason or this, this postseason? It's the, don't you think the health of the rotation is going to be the thing that potentially holds that, you know, who actually ends up pitching for them, right? Morton, it sounds like Morton's out. Um, I mean, what is their, what's their postseason rotation? Actually, I'll flip it around, right? Who's their yeah. Bryce Elder, who I don't have a ton of faith in. I know he's had a very nice year. But, half, for I sure, mean, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the FIP in that case, I think, tells the story. Like Bryce Elder's a perfectly fine fifth starter. He shouldn't be the number two starter for a team that's trying to get to the World Series. So they have a legit one. And then, I don't do we have a cricket sound? somewhere sound effect yeah like i'm actually looking and it's like god who do i i understand they have people who are capable of doing this however like who do i like who do i trust and look guys they were counting on to be there for them either got hurt or were ineffective or some combination of both and this isn't a new thing for them. Last offseason, they came, or I'm sorry, I keep saying offseason. Last postseason, they came in, Strider and uh, Freed were both battling something. I think Freed was actually an illness at that point where he was just been out for a bunch of September. And so Freed is going to be eligible to come back um, for the postseason. Morton is going to miss the DS. And so if Freed's at full strength, great. But you know how blisters are. Those things can come and go and nag at you and is he able to go the full seven innings he wants to or is he going to be shortened and you have to go to piggybacking with AJ Smith-Shaver or Alan Winans or something so yes if it's a, a series where you just need three starters okay Bryce Elder is the three 
especially for that DS, that's that's fine. And then you get Charlie Morton back if he's healthy for the for the CS. I don't know how that's going to be with some finger inflammation he's dealing with. Uh, the pieces, as of course, like this Braves team has its backfield enough to be just fine if if everyone is healthy or almost everyone's healthy. But it's when if you're suddenly looking at Strider and then Elders, your two. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, that's a pretty good reason, I think, to, to not you know, shove in all your uh, real or fake bets on, on the Braves. I mean, look, if they score eight and a half runs a game, right, or whatever <laughs> it is they're scoring, does not matter. That is entirely possible that that's what we'll get in the division series, and then they get to recalculate for the next round. You know, hopefully Morton's back. Hopefully, best case scenario, I think, is Freed comes back, throws three or four innings. They piggyback him with a smith Shaver. I want to say Kyle Wright, but he just hasn't looked good, even in some shorter September yeah. starts that would be appropriate for that kind of piggybacking. So, yeah, I have a lot of... Con- I, I have those concerns, certainly, that I feel like, yeah, we are... This is not the... Um, this is certainly not the scenario that the Atlanta front office or their fans were hoping for. And now you've just got to think instead, well, do we just sort of bully everybody with our offense, which they could do, right? That is absolutely a potential outcome here. I also think they've protected themselves against this a bit with having a bullpen, which doesn't get talked about that much because they don't need it that badly or haven't needed it that badly. That's just loaded with veterans and guys who have been in the postseason before, which I think is is a thing, especially those late innings. Throw in the pitch clock. You know, you need guys who have been there before and and uh, have sort of a, a calm about them. And they have more playoff experience on their injured list right now than a lot of teams have, uh, especially their bullpens and, and rotation. Um, so some of those guys will be coming back. But even if not, you're talking about a back end that's uh, Iglesias, Minter, Yates. Uh, Pierce Johnson has been good since coming over. Uh, Jimenez has been good. Brad Hand hasn't been so much, I don't believe. I could be wrong on that one. I, um, but there's, I'm just looking at their Fangraphs uh, roster resource page. Nobody in that bullpen right now has less than two years of service time. Like these are, they're not throwing kids out there. Uh, no, they're the ro- rotation there throwing some kids out there at, at current moment. But, um, but that's a, it's a bullpen that I actually think they can get creative with if they need to to carry some some middle innings and and use some of these guys in higher leverage situations because you're not the Rockies. You don't need Pierce Johnson to be a closer, right? You can bring him out in the fifth inning if you want, uh, if you get a good matchup. So um, no surprise here, the Braves are in a pretty good spot. But if not the Braves, then who would you be going with here? Baltimore currently 99 wins, getting chased by the Rays, but very likely going to hold on to the division. Dodgers at 98 wins. Where do you where do you lean if you if you had the Braves taken off uh, off the board here? How, how about the Phillies, right? Yeah. I look at that as a club, not just because I'm here or because there's a chance my wife will listen to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> is there? Is there really? <laughs> oh, she she listens to the other one, to my other one. But if I tell her to listen to this one, then she almost certainly will. She listens to a lot of podcasts. I, I don't want to make this all about me. Uh, <laughs> like, look at the Phillies roster, um, even, you know, assuming, right, they, everybody's got to chop two guys off for the playoff roster. Phillies are in pretty good shape across the board. They're very healthy right now. Um, they are, they have too many starters, actually. I mean, somebody who's pretty good. I wonder if Ranger Suarez, not being great last night, probably wasn't as bad as the final line was, but does he just kind of get bumped off because you only need three right for the first round so i mean they've got five guys who could start a playoff game for you and you wouldn't bat an eye the bullpen is much improved um even with obviously sir anthony dominguez hasn't been totally himself um and they've got to stop pretending that craig kimbrell is the craig kimbrell of like seven years ago he's just not that guy but uh, there's rob thompson's one failing that i can see is he just won't make that one particular adjustment um but uh yeah, to me, that's they. They might be um, the most complete is not the word I'm looking for. Prepared, maybe that they're just in the best shape. I think yeah. of any of these teams that we're talking. Certainly of the NL. I'm really thinking in leagues at this point because Baltimore's in kind of similar shape, also, aren't they? I mean, Baltimore's yeah. in a good position. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, Baltimore's in a great position, um, especially if you get that buy. Because the team I'm gonna 
I'm going to talk up right now. I, I'm not actually saying they're like my number two favorite to win, but it's a team I think deserves to be talked about a, a lot from the way they started the season, but also the way they finished it is the, is the Rays. This is a team that could have very easily just fallen comfortably into the that like mid-range and not chase the Orioles all the way to the finish line. I hope the Orioles kind of fade um, because of all the injuries, because of losing Wander Franco for the foreseeable um, future. Or like 60% of their rotation. Yeah, and everyone in the rotation. And yet, we get to the postseason and look at this rotation. Tyler Glass now, Aaron Savale, Zach Eflin, Zach Littell, Taj Bradley. I mean, you can stick Littell and Bradley in the in the, in the the bullpen if you want, right? And, and you know, Erasmo Ramirez won't make the postseason roster or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and then you have, I mean, those are three dangerous pitchers. With the way Savale has pitched uh, most of this year, Zach Eflin has been fantastic across the whole season when healthy. And so if you... Uh, put a Latell, put a Bradley in that bullpen and do the same thing we just talked about. Get creative in those middle innings if you only want Glass on to go five, um, which, of course, they've, they've done before. Uh, they still have the ability to mix and match in that lineup, unlike any team. They're, they're so accustomed to it, too, right? If you were trying to get, like, trying to get, like, the Yankees in a different postseason to um, to get, like, creative with, with platoons and all this stuff, you'd have maybe one or two spots changing in the lineup. Like, Rays could do this in, like, five spots. They're They're... they're they are willing and able to do that at so many spots, and um, and you'll you'll find Manny Margot having a big hit in the postseason, and Curtis Mead might have a chance there. Harold Ramirez is going to be a only against lefties type guy, and and uh, yeah, these guys can still do a ton of damage even with all the losses. I mean, you, you look at their injured list, and their <laughs> their starting pitchers are Shane Bosch, oh Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, Jeffrey Jason Springs. Hunt. Jason yeah. Adam also also on the injured list right now. That's with, literally uh, a four-man rotation you could see on a playoff team. Yeah, right? them and the, Those them four the guys Dodgers. healthy would be one of the better ones. Yeah, them and yeah. the Dodgers. Absolutely. Yeah. By brutal. the way, how without looking, how old do you think Erasmo Ramirez is? I think because it's, uh, it feels yeah. like he's been pitching since I was in college. <laughs> I, think I, just, I think he's 33, wasn't it? He's 33. Yeah. He's 33. <laughs> I just looked it up. I'm like, he's got to be like 38, 39. Like, I just saw Jesse Chavez. We're talking about Atlanta. He's 39. I'm like, Ramirez is totally that old, right? No, actually. Fun fact. Yeah, instead it's Jake Diekman, who's like lived a thousand lives uh, at 36, is the the elder statesman in that that rotate or in that bullpen. Yeah. How about that? How about that? So uh, last one here before we move on to some other things. If I had to, because we don't know exactly yet how this uh, AL West is going to shake out. And if I flip this forward... If you needed to have stock in one of the top three ALS teams, or I guess it could be any of the five, for the next five years to make multiple deep runs in the uh, toward the World Series, who are you picking? Mariners, Astros, Rangers, or I guess if you want to go the Angels uh, or the A's, you may. <laughs> Sorry, did I laugh out loud there? <laughs> who set up best in the next couple of years? Seattle? I don't yeah. know. I haven't given this a ton of thought, right? That's my off-the-cuff response. I feel like the core there is pretty young in going to be in place for a while. Obviously, yeah. you know, health is right. We're just assuming. I feel pretty good about where the Mariners are, and it's going to suck if they end up missing the playoffs by a game, which I think is kind of where they are right now. But I'm looking at the roster, too, and yeah, they're in. I think they're in pretty good shape, and there's more coming. Look, I yeah. think their system is in pretty good position also, and They've just always been in Jerry DePoto, the job he's done in Seattle and probably say particularly the, like the last five years or so in Seattle versus what he did with the angels. And obviously he didn't really have autonomy or what he first did when he came over, over to the Mariners. He is on quite a run in the way that he and Justin Hollander have run that organization, baseball ops across departments. They're just, they are hitting on a lot of different areas too. And I could see them, Again, it just it's kind of lousy, especially after last year. The hope was they get back to the playoffs, et cetera. Okay, I, if they miss, it'll be by game, and I'm going to say it's a blip, and that they get back next year and end up making the playoffs a bunch of times going forward. Because I think they're, yeah, they're much more in the they're they're in a better position for the long run. Texas, I just hesitate because they have good young players, some in the big leagues and some who are very close or like Evan Carter, obviously just, just got there. The system is certainly good, but there's also a lot of expensive, older injury prone talent on the big league roster. And then that is, you know, they could be really good right now and then dip for a little bit and then come back again as those guys age off contracts expire. And then it's all younger players or they supplement with different veterans 
for this when the wave of younger talent actually gets there. My head says that five years down the road, I'd look back and be like, you fool for, for dismissing the Astros uh, at a time like this. Like they're setting up to like, I don't know, they have the talent to like do dynasty type things. They just need to do it. Um, but there also are a lot of variables that I think are, are pretty large question marks. You know, they're relying a lot on Justin Verlander in this rotation, who's going to be here for another year, but he's uh, over over 40. Uh, Fremer is, is fantastic. But the rest of the rotation, I don't think we've necessarily found a ton of certainty this year. Uh, the the I mean, the, the bullpen, you can't count on what's happening uh, across five years, but it's almost all over 30 guys. So over 30 relievers are not a uh, they're not a commodity you're going to really uh, uh, bet on for for the long term. And then um, and then some it's a lot of like, who do they hang on to? Uh, Altuve, Bregman um, are going to be getting older at that point. Uh, Alvarez is still on the younger side in his mid twenties right now. Tucker as well, uh, but some of these more uh, like uh, like role players uh, of this team, they're going to need to figure out what they're doing at catcher in the long term. Um, are, is Diaz one of these core pieces? Is McCormick a core piece? Is Jeremy Pena a core piece? I mean, he's good, um, but he hasn't given them on offense what they would hope for. Um, so you don't want to just a glove for a shortstop. So. I'm interested to see because you said all the right stuff about about Seattle, but I'm interested to see uh, what Texas looks like in five years because they are obviously willing to spend the money, and so they're going to be doing it a little bit of a different way than I think even Houston uh, would be willing to do. And they still need to patch together a rotation um, that isn't just like all free agents and guys they traded for. Um, so we'll see how their development goes on that front um, and who kind of emerges there. But they are whenever you have an organization that's beginning to do the right stuff from a, a, a farm system perspective, and they're willing to pay to be good today, um, that, that means tomorrow could be, could be pretty exciting. So yes. we'll see about, yep. we'll see where Texas is headed. Yep. Completely agree. And, and just on that Houston point too, you know, Dana Brown was, was brought in. He is the GM. My understanding is he's got a lot more say over amateur scouting, what, whatever they're doing in pro scouting, which is limited player development. That's really where his focus is is and so say he's not doing stuff with the major league team but that there are other voices and the owner is a bit more involved and we saw that in the interim period last year before they hired brown when they went and signed what was it abreu and rafael montero and one other signing that have all basically been disasters um if they miss the playoffs by a game it's entire you could easily just say well it's that that period right you just cost yourself jose abreu's been below replacement level this year one win of value could easily be the difference between them making the playoffs or missing the playoffs. And so uh, I don't know for sure how that's going to look this winter, but we don't know because Dana Brown wasn't there for the whole hot stove last year. But that's really, I bring that up as a, to argue, we don't really know what the Astros major league strategy is going forward. How much are they spending? How much are they um, going to focus on player development going forward because Dana and I like Dana he's been there a long time but if he I mean sorry he's been in the game a long time yeah but if he doesn't have a lot of final say then you know do we have the two halves are not necessarily working in sync like they were under click and they were under Jeff Luna too that's why the team was so successful for the last 10 years yeah the thing you have to believe with Brown is that he wouldn't have gone there if he wasn't given pretty strong wording that you are going to have say because he I mean, we all knew what the what the score was and, and how things were going in Houston. And, and the next guy that walked in there, I don't think was going to go in blindly thinking that, um, you know, or being, being mistaken about what kind of say they're going to have there. So, Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Keith, this week, um, this week we did an exercise, Russ and Dodd and myself, where we went around to each major league team and picked a most improved player over the course of the season. We didn't include rookies because I kind of would like a baseline of what they're going to do in the majors, and we didn't include guys who just had a bad bad year last year. This was sort of a guys who really took a step forward. So uh, you made the point when I when I talked to you about this that um, it was interesting that the bigger the breakout guy the more likely that team is headed to the playoffs. And I think that is that is an important part of the recipe. Like, look at um, the Phillies. I picked Bryson Stopp. But the Phillies, like, is a perfect scenario where – or a perfect illustration of how you cannot count on the best-case scenario to happen, right? Bryce Harper is out for a month and really not himself until the All-Star break. Trey Turner not himself till what was it, August, when the city stood up for him and, and he started to turn things around. And he still hasn't – he hasn't been like Trey, Trey Turner – <laughs> that's that's why I'd like to please clap. Um, and, and and a lot of things haven't gone right, and yet Bryson Stott has gone from uh, I don't want to say like offensive liability, but a, a light hitting infielder with a good glove to a guy who's stealing uh, thirty plus bags, uh, fifteen plus homers, and suddenly putting all his offensive numbers into a place where he's above average, and combine that with plus speed. And uh, honestly, a gold uh, gold glove caliber season at second base, and this is a different player looking ahead at the you know how long this core can survive. They need pop up players like that, and he's he's done exactly that. And he's really improved his contact. The one question I had on him going back to when he was at UNLV, I thought he was a first rounder. I thought there was a pretty good chance for power. I really thought he could play shortstop. He could definitely run. There were some questions about the defense, about his range, and I remember seeing he made a. Really good play to his left. Really good play back to the hole. He can make the throw. Like, what are we talking about? If a guy shows you he can do all of those things, we're not asking for a whole lot more. Um, it was a question of the hit, right? How much was he going to hit? And to his great credit, he's really improved the contact rate year over year. And I don't think that's a weakness at all. And I think there could be another gear of offense for him going forward. Um, I would actually really expect that to be the case. So I think Philly fans should be pretty optimistic. Also, I would say they should be pretty optimistic um, because just in general, they have seen a lot of these, uh, a lot of offensive players take nice steps forward this year. I mean, Brandon Moore still strikes out way too much, but the guy's actually got a 372 on base percentage this year, which is unbelievable for him, uh, given the player he was, not just the performances in the past, which obviously, oh God, last year I pulled it up, 295 to 372. I'd actually be curious how many players have seen a better year-over-year improvement in on-base percentage. He's a little below qualifying for the batting titles, so you'd have to play with your threshold. But still, that's a lot. They have seen guys like Christian Pache, who's a longtime favorite of mine, but I you know, also recognized approach at the plate was pretty flawed. And guess who has actually started to show a little feel for the strike zone? Actually, you know, he's barely played, but he's got a higher walk rate and a lower strikeout rate. I really hope somewhere there's an opportunity for him. It may not be with Philly, but it looks like they're they're good at this. Now yeah. we're seeing several hitters start to improve, and that's going to make a difference with other guys. Johan Rojas, who's going to have to have a really yeah. good approach to the place. I love him as a player. He's not going to have a lot of power. He homered the other night. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I see a lot, of, uh, a lot of reason for Phillies fans to be optimistic, which is really hard for them. Yeah. <laughs> one one stat that I pointed out in here, and I don't know what all is baked into Fangraphs or StatCast run value um, against particular pitches, but I was looking, uh, playing around with that a little bit because I saw a, a minus 14 for Stott on the fastball last year. And I was like, that doesn't oh. sound good. Um, no, and so no I, that I, is I not fo- good. I can confirm <laughs> that as a former stat analyst type. Not good. I followed that and I saw the only player last year who had a worse um, – run value on fastballs was Geraldo uh, Perdomo, who I also had in this list for the Diamondbacks. Um, and both guys have gotten back to zero. If you are getting eaten alive by velocity, you're going to have a really hard time in the game because guess what? Guys don't only have velocity. That's like their easy trick. Yeah. Then it's yep. the spin, right, that's... the slider, <laughs> and their dirt. So you have to be able to handle fastballs. And both those guys have at least gotten back to like net zero on that. That's yep. an important piece. It was funny um, you mentioned that too because I was looking up Christopher Sanchez when um, – they were talking about him on one of the broadcasts the other night that the uh, like how just how good his changeup has been because his breaking balls, it's his worst pitch, but it's not a disaster. There's like the guy cannot spin the ball clearly. And it brought me back to why at the time of when Curtis, so he was traded for Curtis Mead. And then within less than a year, Curtis Mead 
had blown up as a prospect. It was like, oh my God, what the hell were the Phillies doing? They got this generic left-handed reliever who can't even spin the ball, and they give away a guy who's a top 100 prospect. Now, Mead remains a really good prospect. You could debate the merits of the deal, but Christopher Sanchez has been really good this year, and it's because that changeup is incredible. I mean, it is like a classic. They used to, you know, folks who follow baseball history, the changeup used to be called the fadeaway. That's why. <laughs> Changeups that look like that one. He's incredibly fun to watch, and he throws a ton of strikes. I don't think he's an ace, but it's going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. Could he be a, the third starter in a playoff rotation? Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. he could. Yeah, you know, Michael Lorenzen may not really belong on the playoff roster. I know. Which I'm, is, I'm thinking about right? that one. Yeah. yeah a little I mean, hard to believe. It is a little hard to believe after you spin a no-hitter in the second half. But um, a, a different uh, a pitcher we went with on this list was Kyle Bradish for the Baltimore Orioles. He's a guy who has, uh, I mean, he's in a place that hasn't always been known for getting the absolute most out of their starting pitchers. And yet um, he has just continued to step uh, forward. And, and, and like, there's a rotation that it seemed like belonged to Kyle Gibson for a while. They bring in the veteran to help them along. And this season, uh, the improvement from last year, 490 ERA from uh, last year in 23 starts. This year, 286. He just uh, shoved two days ago now. Um, and uh, across 29 starts, he's, he's got a full season. He's not carrying a ton of innings, 166 as we speak, but um, has just been uh, so. It's, it's just like watching him, you just feel like it's uh, a level of like clinical that I haven't seen in a little while, especially from an Orioles starter. And uh, and you do this at a time when you're like you're getting Grayson Rodriguez figuring things out, and like there's I think there's a lot of hope there. So he's a guy uh, looking at his his page like he's incorporated the sinker a whole lot more this year. Uh, he's always had the slider and the four seamer, but he's uh, just getting a, a wider array uh, of offerings, and I feel like that's uh, it's it's all coming together for him in 2023. Yeah, I agree. And I wrote about him. We talked about him on my uh, players I got wrong column from a couple of weeks ago, where. It's funny, the Orioles were very eager to push credit off. I spoke to Chris Holt over there, who oversees their pitching development, and he just kept pushing the, you know, it's the player, it's the player, it's the player. We just we just are there for advice. We're there to help sort of on the margins, really. But if you look back at Bradish, if you'd find, there's some video online from when he was still in the minors, or even when he first came up, he was, it, I mean, the delivery was not good. He was weirdly stiff and very over the top, and they got him looser, you know, they kept talking about uh, when I talk, reached out to people with the Orioles to write this. They talked about he's a way too good of an athlete to have a delivery that's kind of that unathletic. Loosened him up, helped him to maintain his posture more through the delivery as opposed to staying so tall over the rubber, which made him, you know, joked he was like an Iron Mike pitching machine beforehand. And that just unlocked a lot of different things for him. It's command. It's frankly, it's movement. It's ability to sink that ball. I think a lot of that stuff just became easier for him when he loosened up the delivery, and it also makes it look very sustainable. When guys make, when the, the performance is better, the pitches are different, and you can see physical reasons, whether it's delivery or something else that just helps back up what you're seeing in the data too. That's when the comfort level is. Oh no, I'm I'm betting on this. Like I'm going to Bradish at this point and saying. Hey, can we do some kind of long-term deal here? He might be their best starter going forward, which would be really interesting because Grayson Rodriguez has been so hyped for so long. I might like Bradish a little bit more at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to touch on every single one of these uh, guys, but I wanted to mention Chaz McCormick because, uh, first off, he has like career highs across the board here. Uh, as long as they play him, that was a bit of a kerfuffle uh, in recent weeks um, with, with whether Dusty is going to play him or gave him banana pudding. Um, but uh, but the, the stat that jumped out was that nobody's better in baseball against the heater. Now, 20, plus 23 run value. So, buddy, go up there. First pitch, if that looks if that looks straight to you, I want, <laughs> I want you hacking. Uh, so, yeah, plug him in the lineup and let him swing away at the heater. We also could have picked Hector Narius, who, <laughs> who has made headlines in the last 24 hours by uh, jawing, I think is the proper term, jawing. And, ad- and advancing upon Julio Rodriguez after striking him out. Um, I saw I, I, one of these like hitter guru guys um, on Twitter that likes old school baseball talking about how like that's the same thing as a bat flip. It's like, no, no, no. You bat flipped and then like strutted toward the pitcher, you'd have a problem. Th- that is not a bat flip. So let's move. You know, Keith, this is not what this is about. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to bring up a guy who is my favorite because every time I mention him, I can just throw as many of my former McDonald's days puns in there. Jake Berger. Jake Berger has been something of a... Job. As, as a As a dad, um, I got a lot of dad jokes. I approve. I did what I could. I've, I've also done it like three times this year, so I'm, I'm running out. Um, 
But uh, Jake Berger has uh, since going to Miami, and he was he was good from a power perspective with the White Sox. And of course, in the past, he's had power. He just was never healthy. And <clears throat> since going to Miami, he's actually put everything together with the whole slash line, uh, batting three thirteen since he went over there. And um, he's got 34 homers on the year. Is this a, I don't know, you look at this, is this a sustainable thing we can come to expect from him to actually be a plus hitter not only in the in the power department, or is this more of a, a second half flash in the pan that you'd expect to see some of the real concerns you ha- like that we have, have come to expect with strikeout rate and, and lack of quality contact? Yeah, well, I actually, let me turn it on you for a second. What do you think before I answer? I want it to be. I want it to be real because I think we've waited for so long for the Marlins to have a lineup that wasn't just um, completely anemic, um, and they do have it right now. Uh, Luis Arias gets on base. He, he gets smacks singles around the yard. You got Josh Bell. You've got Jake Berger. You've got I'm, this is off the top of my head, so I don't want to miss guys. But um, of course, you have Jazz Chisholm, and you have Jorge Soler, who's got 36 homers. I think there's something to it. I, I think he's always going to be a guy who struggles with. Um, with the strikeout, but there's a, a, a power and strikeout guy is okay in this game. Um, I think if if he can avoid chase um, and be able to add some of that on base to him, because some of what we're seeing in Chicago was like he's having like a 290 on base, and I don't know that that guy can survive that long by just hitting homers. And so if you can give me a 310 maybe um, and do a little bit of that because he's not like a plus defender, he's not a plus runner. Um, I th- I think there's a place for him, and I would love for it to be Miami because because they need it in their lineup. Yep, I agree with everything you just said. I would even go maybe a touch further and just say maybe getting out of Chicago where there wasn't a whole lot of hitter development going on at the big league level there. Um, Maybe going somewhere else. And in Miami, they seem to be like it's pretty gradual and I don't want to overrate, but they've accumulated a lot of guys who are not particularly patient, particularly high on base guys. There's at least seems to be some top-down effort to improve that. Now, we're not seeing the quantum improvements that we've seen, like I was talking about some of the Phillies guys, or we saw this with a bunch of guys in the Royals system two years ago. I don't think the Marlins are like that. But I like the fact there seems to be some recognition there that these need to get better. Um, we need to get better as a team in those in that department. I think Berger ends up like a 6-7 type hitter, maybe 6, more like 7 because of that power. Um, I don't think he's, for example, like the big breakout guy for them. Going forward, I think this is, you know, between what he did in Chicago and what he's doing since the trade to Miami, probably a pretty good idea of what he is going forward. Um, But I like him. I like the pickup. I think he helps them a good bit going forward. And I think there are other guys who could take a big step forward. I will probably be a Jazz Chisholm guy till he retires or I die. Um, That guy's just got way too much ability. And it's, I think some of it is health and some of it is this plate discipline thing. Like that's the guy, if I'm the Marlins, right? You get Jazz Chisholm to work the count a little bit more. It's not even just working the count. It's a little too facile. Um, It's more pitch selection, right? You've got electric bat speed. You've got power. He's going to hit hard, hit the ball hard, run a ton. Like we're this, right? Everything you want. He's just going to make better choices. I think he gets there. I really think he gets there because I always feel like he was, as a Bahamian player, too, a little behind when he first entered pro ball. So I am very much an optimist on that front. You know what? You start adding some of these guys up, some of the guys who are going to be there for the longer term, Marlins look okay for the next few years. Like, yeah. I don't think this is the, the typical boom and bust cycle that Marlins fans are used to. Yeah, and, and they've managed to make the lineup better in the short term without – really like um destroying their their pitching prospects right like they they still have um they still have the makings of a great starting rotation uh for the next you know for the coming I, I, sandy's under contract for a long time so as long as he stays healthy but with yuri perez and all that um anyway the marlins are currently at the time of recording tied for that last spot um against the uh, with the cubs i do not know who has a tiebreaker and unfortunately we skipped the marlins, we skipped that do. Oh, the marlins do okay so they we'll do. see where I just happen to see this because, like, I mean, this is what we're paying attention to now. So many of these yeah. races have been done for a while. It's like, all right, what do I watch? You know, especially when the Phillies game is over, right? Who do I flip to yeah. to see what's important? I've been watching the Padres a lot just because, like, can they get to 500? But that's like a me thing specifically. Yeah. Like, that's sort of a little more academic. But otherwise, we've got just a little bit left in terms of the playoff stuff. And so there's only about three games, you're three, four, I guess four yeah. games you're watching each night Marlins, Cubs. Um, I always assume that I assume at this point the Diamondbacks are going to make it, and then yeah. um, the AL West games. The West. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the West, the, the, I want to just touch on the Mariners uh, guy here. We picked 
uh, Matt Brash, because there's a decent chance he's not actually pitching in October here uh, if they don't, if they're that, that first team out. However, uh, and things went kind of sideways for him on, uh, on Wednesday. But his, what we've seen from him, he comes up last year, I think it was five starts. They move him up uh, and down. He came back in the second half as a reliever and has been a reliever ever since. 2-3 ERA um, the second half of last season, and he's a sub-3 again this year and leading the majors in appearances. Um, I, th- I feel like probably the single most important pitcher on that staff to, to allow them to feel okay about giving, um, giving up with Paul Seawald at the trade deadline. Um, and without him, I think they, they hold on to Seawalt and say, we need our closer, even if we have um, Munoz in there. Um, so he's kind of sort of a two-pitch pitcher now. He, he has three, but it's, it's mainly slider forcing, like 80, probably like 92% of the time, if my math is right. Um, is this a lesson to other teams to not try to force the starter thing too long when you bring a guy up and you think he, he would be great in a, a reliever rotation or a, a reliever role that maybe don't, Maybe don't fight it for too long before you you give him a chance to be an electric reliever. Yeah, I get. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and they didn't. I mean, what, what they gave him five starts. Yeah, everybody knew. Like when he was the talk of baseball after coming out of what was that? Coming out of twenty one. Um, you know, and I remember leaving him off my top one hundred, but putting him on the just miss because I thought he it merited explanation. And I, I, he may have been on some other list. I, I don't remember offhand, but there were some fans who were like, how can you not look at how good this stuff is? Look at the strikeout rates. Like, you got to look at the delivery. <laughs> you got to watch this guy pitch. And I think if you watch him throw about three pitches, you're like, oh, yeah, it's a reliever. Okay, we're, we're <laughs> all good here. And that's fine. That was always me with Hater too, where Hater was a guy I put on my top 100. Left side, wipeout slider. He pitched well as in, enough as a starter in the minors that I'm not going to totally rule it out. It's just deliveries do matter. Um, they're not completely definitive, but they're important enough to pay attention to. And I think in Brash's case, it's like, that's not going to work as a starter, but he could be unbelievable as a reliever because often a, a delivery, it's a little bit of a liability when you're a starter becomes more of um more of a strength or even an advantage in relief because it screws hitters up. It's different looks. You might hide the ball particularly well, just maybe not stuff you can necessarily repeat um, all that easily, especially if you're trying to do it, you know, umpteen times a game to potentially be a, a, you know, to go through a lineup three times. Keith, I don't get Isaac Paredes and how he's doing this. I, I was trying to make make sense of it as we as we wrote this and as I prepped for this podcast. So a year ago he hit twenty homers, which is great, but he did it with a uh, and not in uh, it was at three hundred abs, um, and he did it with a, a three hundred four on base percentage. Kind of what we're talking about with Jake Berger. Like we need you need more from that from an on base perspective, um, and he has thirty this year, thirty one now, and yet he's he's doing it with a worse uh, chase rate, uh, walk rate, strikeout rate. Barrel rate is is the same as it was. Um, hard hit rates down from thirty eight percent, which is just above league average, to twenty eight percent. Hitting the ball hard less, um, and yet he's doing this with a three fifty two on base percentage. Uh, everything is everything looks better, including the homers and obviously the plate appearances he has. The only thing that jumps out to me is, is launch angle, which is fifteen percent to twenty two, which is just a very like he pulled the Yandy Diaz. Uh, he stopped hitting the ball on the ground. Which which helps, and so he walks and he runs into balls, which there's there's value there. But I, I don't <laughs> I don't know what to project for this guy. Uh, all I know is that he could be a lot of fun in October. Yeah, I am not buying this so much for the long term. He was a guy I considered for my players I was wrong about because I yeah. certainly didn't ever think there was going to be thirty homers. Um, it's funny you mentioned the hard hit rate. That was the one thing he could really do as a prospect. He was not a good defensive player. And he's actually been by the outs above average. I think he's been a couple of runs above average this year defensively. Uh, but it was this guy just hits the ball hard. He's going to play. Now, I don't know how good he's really going to be. I would probably would have told you that Max is out as like a two-and-a-half win type of player where it might be high average with a lot of doubles, not a lot of walks, not a ton of over-the-fence power, certainly not 30 homers, and he loses something, gives something back on defense. You know, a lot of what you're describing is probably not super sustainable unless like the hard hit rate comes back up. He has a 352 on base percentage. He's been hit by pitches 20 times. I understand that that is kind of a skill um, for some players at least that does not indicate even as a weak proxy plate discipline selectivity ability to tell a ball from a strike he just knows when the ball's going to hit him which is not the worst skill in life 
it's good to know when something is about to hit you, especially at high velocity. (laughs) But I don't think that that doesn't make me feel way better, far better about his long-term prospects, for example. A perfectly fine player, kind of guy who could get squeezed out because Caminero is, if he's not there on the opening day roster, he's coming, obviously, coming real fast. I think there are a lot of hitting coaches that need to sit down with this guy because I was looking at what in my favorite run value thing I've I've, uh, fallen into. He's great against the fastball. He's got plus 14 run value uh, against four-seamer, one of the better ones. Uh, in the league, however, the sweeper plus nine. Uh, so the sweeper, famously a very difficult pitch for a, a right-handed hitter to hit. Um, he's at nine runs. The next is Jordan Alvarez at six, and then Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Steer, Yandy Diaz, Andrew Bentendi at five. He's three runs better than anybody against the, uh, the sweeper. So first off, stop throwing, stop throwing him the sweeper. It's not working. He's figured, he's figured something out, and. He's got all this pull power, too. So like every single one of his homers is at the left field seat. So I don't know what's happening here if you're just not getting that sweeper outside enough. But I think almost every hitting coach in the game needs to talk about how to handle the sweeper uh, as, it, as it's taking over the game. Um, last one I, I want to run past you. Yusei Kikuchi has put together a very uh, useful season this year. This is a guy who... Um, who <laughs> this is a guy who had... Uh, <laughs> you're getting your usual 13 or 14 or was it 12, yeah, 13 or 14 um, man I dream of it I dream of it he's put together um, a career year so far 382 ERA through, uh, 31 starts 162 innings uh, but the big thing we're looking at is a massive improvement in walk rate this is a guy who was walking 5.2 guys per nine innings last year and it's at 2.5 this year I don't know what exactly has changed or how long he can sustain it but for now it's gone from a rotation that somehow, despite losing Alec Manoa, strangely, uh, and and like extremely quickly, and how strangely that wall went this season, um, he's like a solid, probably number three or four option in that rotation right now behind Gossman, who's been fantastic. Speaking of guys who got awesome uh, post-Baltimore, although he was good there too. Um, and then Barrios is having a great year too. And then Chris Bassett is just a solid pitcher. What have you seen from Kikuchi this year to kind of get back into people's good favor? Yeah, it's a good question, right? Because he was definitely much more of a um, – he was very back-end, right? I mean, gosh, yeah. first four years, right? Five-plus, five-plus, 4.4 ERA in the one uh, – God, he was actually an all-star for that. Low bar, I guess, in 2021, 4.4 ERA. Well, it's <laughs> actually probably not what his ERA was at the all-star break. Fine, fine. I'll go find um, it. Yeah, please do. Yeah, exactly. We, the, the important stuff here. Um, <laughs> but it is – I mean, look, he's – uh, he is appears to be um, working away from a little bit away from some of his worst pitches. Also, he's had a lot more success with the four seamer this year. And I don't know how much to what extent the actual like has he actually changed the pitch because shape wise it's not right. It is not substantially different uh, than it was last year. He's had a lot of variation year over year in some of that, but the fact is the pitch has just been more effective. Um, and it does look like to me like it's it is a good bit of pitch selection. It could also be sequencing too. That would be a better question for somebody who's watched a lot of his starts, which I freely admit I have not um, because I fell asleep. But I do think that he is a um, it is a a good example of a type of pitcher. I hated the contract when they signed him, and I don't yeah. know that they're really going to get good money out of it. But sometimes it is just this guy's healthy. He throws enough strikes. There are enough weapons here. Do we think we can make very, very small adjustments? There is value in just a guy who can who can really just do that. I mean, he's made 63 appearances, 51 of them starts over the last two years. He hasn't been totally healthy. He's been totally healthy this year um, and apparently very well rested. Hasn't been totally healthy <laughs> since he signed the contract, but enough that, yeah, look, there's there's value in that. And even just I, even going back to last year, I just hesitate to include that too much because he did pitch in relief for some of the year, but... He's striking more guys out since he left Seattle, too. And yeah, I'm deferring because I don't have the answer at my fingertips here. But just a quick glance at some of the pitch data does say, yeah, he's changed the approach at the very least. Um, and that may be – maybe that's all the difference. Maybe it's a sequencing thing. Yeah, uh, the truth of the 21-21 season. First half, 348 ERA, 16 starts. The second half, 6 ERA, 13 games. So that, that's, oh, okay. that's our thing. All right, that's yeah, fair. That's fair. So, retract uh, my my derogatory comments about his all-star <laughs> selection 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Keith, we're going to wrap things up here with a little Arizona Fall League talk. The rosters came out um, about a week ago, again, just right after we recorded. They like to let you do that to us. Um, and what I love about the Arizona Fall League, beyond getting to see all these guys in extended um, stretch, is in a lot of cases, these are the guys you're going to see arriving next summer. Right, not everyone, but it means these guys are getting relatively close. Um, anybody that you uh, that sort of just stood out, you're like, oh, awesome, this guy. Like, I'm I'm excited to see see him, and wasn't sure he was going to wind up there. Uh, a lot. <laughs> we yeah. could probably spend the hour talking about it, but good group. Uh, Jackson Job definitely definitely jumped out to me. Guy who I've just actually still never seen um, was there to try to see him in spring training this year, and it was like right after he'd gotten hurt. I think he'd made his previous start, and um, yeah, and that was it. And then he got shut down like after I landed. So that was really awesome. Big, big fan of when that happens because I was excited to see him. He finished last season reasonably strong. Now, obviously, he's had a lot of health, not necessarily arm-related history. He had a big back issue that cost him half this season. What I have heard from multiple people, not just in the Detroit organization, though, is it's looked really good. And, I mean, the one thing he always had was stuff. The knock on him was high school pitcher that's a terrible just as a class. or The attrition rate is very high. For high school pitchers, high school right-handers, the knock on him was where he was selected. It was really nothing about him as a prospect. And then in his first full season, he was not as good. Uh, It was also about the players they passed on. And again, that's nothing against him. And I think it sort of became, oh, he's not that good of a prospect. No, he's, he's, he's fine. Most high school pitchers do not just race to the majors. You know, sometimes they blow up in one year like Andrew Painter, and then they blow up the following year. You know, Job. Maybe it's just going to be year two, year three, where he really kind of takes off uh, towards the majors. So he's definitely – and also there's never enough pitching. I don't know how much time you've spent in the fall league, but that is absolutely our number one complaint about the the place is that there's just never enough pitching out there. And so we always end up kind of uh, lamenting not just how it makes games a little worse to watch, obviously, but also that they they, the quality of competition isn't great. So I want to see – Every hitter face Jackson Job. That's what a test you could potentially get. If I get to see him twice while I'm out there, it's very unlikely. But if I do, awesome. I'll be ecstatic. Um, he's out there. Colson Montgomery, who missed a huge chunk of the year, and I heard was not looking great when he returned. God, he could. I mean, I mean, he missed so much time, and it was also, I believe, a back issue. So that's. Um, Want to see what he looks like. Kevin Alcantara, kind of a personal favorite of mine. A lot of physical development, in addition to skills development going on there. He keeps getting better, but also we're you know there's more to come. He's on one of the rosters. Kevin Parada loved him in the draft. Just want to yep. see the defense. 
I will say, Fall League sucks for evaluating catching. Buster Posey looked horrible catching out there. I remember the Royals sent some kind of heavy set catcher I didn't know a whole lot about before that, um, who caught not who did not catch very well in Fall League. His name was Salvador Perez. Mm. I, I don't remember whatever no happened to him. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't like so that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'll throw Harry Ford out there too. Guy who I don't know how much he's going to catch. He's listed as a catcher. That might be one where I'm going to worry even less about receiving. It's, it's a bigger body, but he's a great athlete. Everyone's always questioned the movement and the, and as well as kind of some of the polish behind the plate. So there's, there, there's a lot to look at. I mean, I'm very much like, we're going to be, um, we're going to be in good shape out there. I'm very, very excited to be out there, to go out there and see, this is a good list of, of, of prospects. And it also just to be, you know, to make it all about me. It's a lot of guys I either haven't seen before or haven't seen kind of in a long time, or, or maybe just got like Harry Ford. I've seen him. I've never really gotten a good look at him though. Like I want to see more of him. You know what? I'll throw even one more. I could keep going. I should let you throw some names out there too. And you'll <laughs> caught your eye. Like Gavin Cross, loved him in college. Yeah. Ninth pick in the draft. Awful this year. And I believe ended up on the injured list in the minors. And they just said due to illness. I never did find out what else it was. But like, were we all just wrong on him? I don't know anybody who, who was off Gavin Cross. There were differences of opinion. Everyone's like, good hitter. More like, is he top ten in the draft good, or is he just like a first round college bat with some good production? Like, he might end up the third or fourth best player at best on his in, from his own college lineup, which is pretty astonishing. Yeah, just like you need to mention the Phillies uh, in case your wife listens. I need to mention the Tigers in case my dad listens. Um, but yeah, Jackson Jackson Job, that's been a huge one. The payoff when you draft a high school pitcher that high at number three. It just takes so long to figure out if they were right or they were terribly, terribly wrong. And so to, to get him closer, right, he's reached double A at this point and, uh, and healthier is obviously an important one for him because he still just has not pitched a lot of minor league innings, 141 pro innings. Um, so him, uh, Jace Young, to pick, pick another JJ, uh, is another big one for the Tigers who I um, believe is still going to the, to the fall league. Um, that's, that's a guy who I feel like could, could begin to impact the major league roster pretty soon. Um, they are not solidified in the infield. And then the other one is, um, Kyle Manzardo with the guardians, of course, traded in, in the Aaron Savale trade. If there is not room for him on the guardians roster, uh, you know, early next season, I'd be pretty surprised. Uh, I don't think they are sold on Josh Naylor necessarily being, um, you know, owning first base every day. He can be DH, whatever. Um, who's had a fantastic year, by the way. Uh, but I think there's room for both of them is the, is the point. And um, I think Manzardo, they acquired him knowing they're going to use him pretty soon. And uh, that's why you that's why you trade away a, a pitcher who's been, uh, a starter who's been quite good this year. Uh, but maybe maybe selling high. It was I think it was a smart trade. But um, Yeah, no issues. Right. But, that guy ends up a long-timer, long-time, just a regular. Just a regular for them. Right? The, that's a the, win. The Guardians are a team that has struggled with power for... Uh, a long time, and especially this year, I wrote about this uh, earlier this this week. How like they're historically behind. I think it was like since the like late '90s, since a team has been this far behind the like next lowest uh, home run total team, and uh, they the Guardians just have not hit homers. And so they would love to have a guy who can come up and provide a little bit of pop. And uh, and Manzaro, I think I think is going to be able to help them in that department quite a bit. So that's uh, that's it. Any any anything else before we uh, get out of here? Uh, I think that's it. Enjoy the last weekend of baseball. Hopefully, we everything. So hopefully, a bunch of this comes down to the wire on Sunday. That I would know. be my hope, especially since we, since we don't have tiebreaker games, which I used to love back when Twitter didn't suck. Uh, <laughs> it was great to have everybody. I guess I'm I'm on Blue Sky a lot. Um, it was great to have everyone kind of in one place, you know, one place online, all watching the same game, and it was just like the you know the world's greatest sports bar conversation better than sports bars actually where you know we were all watching the same thing and criticizing or picking apart moves and all kind of glued to the same stuff you do get that a little bit in the postseason obviously in the world series but tiebreakers were kind of fun because it was everything was on the line we don't get that anymore but hopefully we get a good sunday
Yeah. I mean, we've had just about as good of a finish to the regular season as we could ask for. And maybe the Mariners will make one last push here. Um, and then the fish, the fish man, fish and the Cubs, it's going to be interesting heading down the stretch. Uh, but we're going to hit the exits here. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Tim McMaster for producing today's show. You can find Keith and my work all week long at theathletic.com. Subscribe to The Athletic for $1 per month for the first year during our extended summer sale almost over at theathletic.com slash baseball show. The Athletic Baseball Show will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.